Section 13 of Claimants to Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ginger Cucolo. Claimants to Royalty by John H. Ingram. The False Baldwin of Flanders. A.D. 1225. In 1205, the recently elected Emperor of Constantinople, Baldwin, hereditary Count of Flanders and Hainault, was defeated and taken prisoner by Joannes, King of Bulgaria. The release of the illustrious captive was demanded by Pope Innocent III, but the barbarian victor contented himself with replying that Baldwin had died in prison. He did not condescend to furnish any particulars of his disease, but rumor supplied the omission by inventing and retelling all kinds of terrible tales of his murder, the most noteworthy of which the curious reader may find upon referring to the pages of Gibbon. The real circumstances of his death never came to light, but there does not appear to be the slightest reason for doubting the fact itself. The intelligence was credited by his allies and subjects, and nothing plausible has been advanced to account for Jonis asserting it if untrue. His brother Henry, however, who, upon the news of Baldwin's defeat and capture, had been appointed regent, would not consent to receive the imperial crown until the lapse of a twelfth month after the fatal intelligence, and the mystery with which the barbarian victor's prisons was enshrouded would appear to have inspired the Latins with a belief in the prolonged existence of their monarch. Be this as it may, twenty years passed away without any one appearing to question the fact of Baldwin's death. At the expiration of that period, when the sovereignty of Flanders and Hainault had devolved upon the emperor's count's eldest daughter, Jean, a claimant appeared to assert his identity with the lost monarch. He maintained that after his capture at Adrianople, he had been kindly treated by his Bulgarian captors who, after a lapse of years, so far relaxed their watchfulness that he was enabled to effect his escape from custody. Taken prisoner, however, by another barbarous tribe, unacquainted with his rank, he had been treated by them as a slave, and finally taken into Syria and sold. There, for two years, he had been compelled to toil as a common laborer, enabled by accident to make himself known to some German merchants who were permitted to trade in the vicinity, they had ransomed him for a small amount, and as by the death of his brother the throne of Constantinople had reverted to another, and probably hostile branch of the family he had deemed the recovery of his hereditary dominions an easier task than that of his eastern empire. The Countess Jean was at this time harassed by different feuds, domestic and foreign, and a portion of her more martially disposed subjects, wearied of a female ruler, received the impostor very favorably. His pretensions, however, were rejected in toto by the Countess, who refused to see him. Advised to have him interrogated in order to prove his imposture, she consented, and her chief counselors had a long and wearisome interview with the pseudo-monarch, who assumed a great gravity of men and comported himself with much dignity. He paid all due observance to the questions asked him, and replied to everything with considerable plausibility. He spoke at great length and bitterly reproached the counselors present for not at once acknowledging him as their rightful sovereign. He was permitted uninterruptedly to address the assembly, and his words would appear to have made some impression upon the council, the president of which broke up the meeting, alleging that it would not be lawful for them to decide upon matters of such importance without learning the goodwill and pleasure of the countess. 
his tale now gained eager credence with the flemings and his claims were seconded by many noblemen although according to native historians jean had received conclusive proofs of her father's death from the hands of two envoys whom she had sent into greece purposely to obtain information Mezeray, the french chronicler declares that the impostor was not only recognized by a large portion of the flemish aristocracy with whose genealogies ancestors deeds and family names he displayed a perfect knowledge but was also put in possession of the whole of flanders by an enthusiastic people to impress the populace he appeared in a scarlet garb and carrying a white baton in his hand and his imposture was all the more successful because of his really bearing no little resemblance to the veritable baldwin finding himself so well supported he attempted to attain possession of the countess jean but she fled into france and besought the protection of her cousin louis the eighth king of that country louis came to compiegne whither also under promise of a safe conduct came the pseudo baldwin to meet him the pretender was accompanied in a manner suited to his assumed rank and upon being introduced to the king saluted him proudly according to some analysts louis after a long discourse in which he asked the claimant to produce some document or other authentic proof of his identity was prompted by his counsellor the bishop of bouvet to put three test questions which were firstly in what place he had rendered homage to philip augustus king of france for his countship of flanders secondly by whom and in what place had he been invested with knighthood thirdly in what place and on what day was he married to his wife marguerite daughter of the count of champagne taken by surprise the impostor requested three days in order to prepare replies to these questions and as it was pointed out as the lapse of twenty years might have impaired his memory this demand was not after all so unreasonable king louis however found his answer so contradictory and so generally unsatisfactory that he commanded him to leave france within three days not being enabled in consequence of the safe conduct granted to him to have him punished for his deception the pseudo baldwin being thus deprived of all hopes of the french king's aid or countenance hastened to valenciennes where fresh disappointments awaited him his allies who from various reasons had espoused his cause now began rapidly to desert him and in far less time than it had taken him to attain his transient grandeur he beheld himself divested of his borrowed plumes and forced to fly in disguise he attempted to get into burgundy where he had expectations of support but his disguise was penetrated his path discovered and he himself captured by a burgundian named erard castanac who sold him to the countess jean for four hundred silver mark the countess at once adopted the prevalent method of obtaining information by putting him to the torture and under it he is alleged to have confessed that he was bertrand de rhin a native of champagne and had been led to attempt his imposition whilst living as a hermit in a forest near valenciennes an old belgian chronicle recording his confession at full length alleges that he had frequently heard the citizens bewailing the sad fate of flanders in having to submit to the rule of a woman the countess jean's husband being in perpetual imprisonment in france and how they praised their late ruler baldwin often exclaiming ah if our dear prince could only return once more to flanders what a change there would be thus incited the idea gradually formed in the champagner's mind to personate the absent monarch so that one day when some of these citizens were bemoaning their loss in the usual style he startled them by exclaiming how do you know that your prince after escaping from captivity did not at once return to his country these words seemed to coincide with some suspicions his visitors had formed 
probably from hints he had already dropped, and when they retired, although they did not dare say anything to him personally, they took good care to let everybody know what they had seen, heard, and suspected. The intelligence was rapidly disseminated all over Flanders, and was heard in all ranks, both high and low. Multitudes, including many of the higher classes, visited the hermit, and were received with an assumption of majesty that fully confirmed them in their belief. In the meanwhile, Bertrand played his game so skillfully that it really appeared as if he were desirous of not being recognized as the long-lost Baldwin. At last, one day, one of his visitors had the courage of the impudence to say, it is believed that you are Baldwin disguised in this hermit's garb. Whereupon he, thinking that the favorable opportunity for airing his pretensions had now arrived, responded sharply, Those who imagine this do not deceive themselves, for besides me there never has been any Baldwin, emperor of the Greeks, count of Flanders, and Hainault. Upon hearing this declaration, all present, both high and low, saluted him as their sovereign, and furnished him with such money as they could raise in a little while he attained to the height of his short-lived prosperity whence as has been seen he as quickly fell after this confession had been obtained for the pretender he was condemned to death but previously to the carrying out of the capital sentence was bound to a horse and in that ignominious manner publicly exhibited in all the chief cities of the netherlands finally he was hanged at lille his execution did not dissipate the belief in the justness of his claim the populace says Mesuret, the French historian, preferring to believe that rather than resign her sovereignty, the countess had had her father hanged. Matthew Paris, in his brief account of this imposture, declares that he was Baldwin, and that all his misfortunes arose from him having murdered an eastern maiden, whom he had promised to marry and baptize, punishment overtaking him not because of the murder, but for the uncanonical omission of baptism before its perpetration. The Lillois were fully confirmed in their belief of the hangman's identity with Baldwin from the somewhat singular circumstance that after the execution the Countess Jean founded a great hospital in their city, and had placed upon everything in and about the building the bizarre design of a gibbet. End of the False Baldwin of Flanders Recording by Ginger Cuckolo.